it is Talking Bollocks with me, your host, Howard H. Smith. He of Acid Rain, he of stand-up comedy, Keith Platt. Uh, you can visit me at keithplatt.co.uk. Does anybody bother with websites anymore? Um, and all the social media you like, as well as the social media for this here goddamn podcast. Or Bollocast, if you will. Get involved, there's a conversation to be had. Um, I am on Facebook, uh, Twitter, find me. I'm on Instagram as well, if you want to find me on there. How one Ard, H-O-W, then the digit one, and then A-R-D. It's a private account, so please do ask, and I shall allow. So there you go. It's, um, it's nice, it is lovely to be back in your ears. Thank you for tuning in. Let's hope there's lots of tangents. That's right, I'm being ironic. I'm mentioning all of the things that usually occur in an episode of Talking Bollocks or have done over the years. But let's face it, just recently, everything has been a little different. It's been a little weird. Um, I mean, I've been feeling the impact um, from an urban nature um, perspective. So basically... Where I am in London, it's normally uh, shed loads of foxes, shed loads of squirrels, um, and all the usual. Well, basically, I've seen one fox in about the last three months, um, and that looked like it was about to drop down dead there and then. Um, I have, um, so yeah, one fox, right? No seagulls. Um, the squirrels seem to have vanished. But what is happening, the knock-on effect is, there are parakeets um, in London. I know what you're thinking, but no, it's true. Parakeets. Look it up. No one knows where they came from. And um, uh, basically, they've started feeding off my bird feeder on my balcony. Now, I've never even seen one of these birds anywhere near my balcony before. Um and they're flock birds, which means, you know, one goes and finds food, then they all eat it. But I've actually had them fighting each other, um, as well as pigeons joining in and magpies. Basically, um, these birds are getting hungry because there just isn't the volume of crap lying around that we normally leave kicking about all over the place that these things thrive on. Um, and so, yeah, they've, they've, they've all got, a, you know, they're, they're, they're all doing different things for food. Um, but it is actually proven to be quite entertaining because I just get to watch um, bright green parakeets going to war on my balcony. So there you go. Now, you see, I've shared that with you. That's the first three minutes of the podcast. Now, if this is your first time listening, you're probably thinking, fucking hell, how's this been going for five years? <laughs> and I wouldn't blame you. But, you know, I'm just just having a just a general chit chat with you all because you know they are they are strange times and uh and i've i'm gotta be honest i'm fucking bouncing off the walls at the moment um i really need a, a change of scene or something um although one of my regular gigs um which is um uh, back up and running not a comedy show but it is a it is a regular kind of event of sorts um but again massively reduced and i guess this moves into the topic of what has been happening in the world of metal since last we spoke um look i just want to say to you guys if you're in the uk and you have a ticket for an event that is this year be well and truly prepared to either have it reorgan uh, rescheduled till 2021 
Or, when it gets closer, find out that you're either not going or you're one of the lucky people that are. Because there seems seems to be a number of smallish little events, little gigs, festivals, things like that, announcing that they're going ahead, despite the fact that they are, seem to be well aware that it might not. And it's really weird as well, because if you if if somebody is advertising the event this year in the UK... At the moment, they don't know how many tickets to sell. Or rather, they should have a very limited number of tickets to sell because they should be selling on the basis that they can only allow the percentage that would be allowed in right now if they opened. But some of these places are actually closed. They're not open at all. So how would they know what volume of tickets to sell for an event in November? or end of October. It's it's insane. So anyway, look, all I'm saying is I'm not taking anybody's um, joy away. I'm not trying to be the thief of joy. And I'm not, you know, I'm not being a downer. I'm just saying be prepared, okay? Be prepared for it to not happen. That is all I am saying. Um, I had some very interesting conversations with people this week behind various scenes. There's so much... Um, going on that I wish I could tell you but I can't um, and um, yeah it, it's 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 an interesting place out there at the moment but hey you knew all that didn't you let's get on with some more fucking metal news shall we good news more violence new violence are you fucking kidding hey now that is something to be celebrated yeah last album 93 this time we're getting one fucking oh well we're not getting an album but we are getting um we are getting an EP we are getting five new tracks and a cover version um and it's 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 done as far as I'm aware um so uh, yeah what more what more do you well actually it's not done three of them are in fact over to Phil Demel friend of the podcast. Um, we've got three originals done, he said. We have a cover song that we were uh, we were working on to play at a local live show, and that got cancelled. I wanted to have some content, uh, so I said, let's just go in and record this song, do a live video, uh, just have something to kind of fill the void. So there's obviously there's a cover version coming. Um, there'll be five originals, and then the cover tune is going to be like an added B-side. I know what we're going to be uh, doing material-wise or product-wise, but there'll be six songs with the cover. So... Six songs. Now, you see, my problem with EPs is that a bit like the Prong EP that came out, um, I don't know if it was early this year or, or when the last, is the thing is, I, you know, as you all know, I love Prong, but it's two new tracks then uh, and then some remixes and a live track. But the physical, the CD, is 10 quid. And I'm not paying 10 quid for what is basically two songs. And and this this is my issue with any kind of EP. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, if if violence bring out an EP and it's on CD and it's ten quid, I'll be buying it. But the point I'm making is that um, you're often paying the same as you would for a full album. And that and also, I just think songs kind of get forgotten, forgotten, forgotten on EP. They get forgotten. They don't got forgotten. Um, God Forgetten. Hello, my name is God Forgetten. <laughs> I sing in Swedish death metal band. I hope you like the next song. It is called My Mother. Um, I've got no idea what that was about. So anyway, um, 
<laughs> yeah, so the point I'm making is, and I don't know if look, I don't know if you feel like this. I'm just saying it's the way I feel, and because it's my podcast, and you know, if it's not the way you feel, then get yourself a podcast and tell everybody how you feel. But yeah, I, there's just something about EPs that just doesn't do it for me. And um, yeah, it, so anyway, anyway, whether whether or not we whether or not we're getting an album, and it does look that way because it does look like. Um, we, we're going to get an album further down the line, so it's cool to have a placeholder. Um, in fact, what, what am I fucking moaning about? What, what actually am I, mo- I? I guess I'm moaning. I'm moaning from the that prong EP point of view, which was fucking you know a lot of money for not a lot of music. Um, and so yeah, I guess I'm moaning about that. Um, and that's just it's, it's just I don't know. You know, as a fan, I find it just a bit frustrating. I guess. It's almost like, you know, you're getting the tip, but, you know, you're getting teased. Um, and uh, do you know what? I definitely think that is it. I do think that is it. So it's, it's my issue, so I need to shut the fuck up um, uh, and sort it out. In the meantime, in the meantime, um, watch Static X perform at Wisconsin Festival, <laughs> once named Herd Immunity Fest. Yeah, Herd Immunity Fest was then um, uh, received loads of crap for having non-socially distanced gig. I mean, how the fuck can you even have a gig right now? How How is that fucking possible? If you're in a country that has laws, right, How how are you able to do that? Because basically, over here... Some venues are allowed to open, yeah, and some venues aren't. And some live events can go ahead and some can't. But you have to have the appropriate fucking clearance for health and safety and everybody else. So how the fuck did this go ahead? Absolutely. And why would you go and see Static X? I mean, in a fucking, you know, in the middle of a pandemic or not, why? Why? Why Static X? There's so many bands you could go and see. Why? And, and it's not Static X. It's Static X with some weird fucking tribute front man with a wig on. And if all of this sounds a bit mental and you're not aware of what, aware of what is going on with Static X at the moment, um, well, please do check it out because it's an ongoing uh, running story um, which just gets fucking weirder. Basically, a guy who, who wears a Wayne Static mask and a Wayne Static uh, wig whilst playing with ex-members of Static X. I know. It, I mean, that is just too much, isn't it? It's just too fucking much. It really fucking is. Anyway, I've given it way too much. I've given it way too much airtime. Next up, what are we talking about? We're talking about Dave Mustaine. Yeah, Dave, the, uh, the the man is just a constant flow of new stories that just keep on giving. He really is. A, he's just a, a great news source. What's Dave been up to? I haven't got anything to talk about on the podcast. Let's see what Dave's been up to. Well, here's what Dave has been up to. Dave has been writing a book. Mm. He likes to do that, doesn't he? We all know, as we've read Dave Mustaine, a heavy metal um, biography. Well, coming soon is Rust in Peace, the inside story of the Megadeth masterpiece. That's right, he's never one to hold back from calling his own work a masterpiece. 
as we know. Book synopsis. Rust in Peace, the inside story of the Megadeth Masterpiece. Details the making of Megadeth's iconic record, Rust in Peace, which was released in 1990, an incredible time of flux and creativity in the world of rock. Played by Mustaine, uh, sorry, relayed by Mustaine, the book covers, relayed, not written, notice, relayed by Mustaine, the book covers the process for hiring the band and supporting cast, of trying to handle the uh, ensuing success and ultimately the pressure of fame and fortune, which caused the band to finally break up. In short, it's a true story of groundbreaking anti-pop that was moving toward the mainstream, or the mainstream was moving toward the band, at a time of great cultural change, power, ego, drugs and other vices that went hand in hand with rock and roll circa the late 80s, early 90s. Little did Mustaine know that what the, um, know that the birth pangs of the record were nothing compared to the ongoing pain and tor- torment that would surround it. Alcohol, drugs, sex, money, power, property, prestige, the lies that the band had w- was told by the industry and the lies they told each other were just beginning. And much like, uh, and much like rust in real life, these factors would ultimately eat away at the band's bond until only the music survived. Well, if the book is anything to be like, anything to go, uh, go on from that, little pile of shit uh, no i mean to be fair that's that that sounds like the hollywood pitch of this book really it really does it's, it it does make it sound like oh you know I, I i love the way they've managed to get everything in there you know what was going on in the 80s and and um uh, mainstream culture and the, the weird thing is if you've read um uh, mustaine's book the um, the heavy metal memoir. If you've if you've read that, then you know that Dave has a tendency to take something that Megadeth did that was really really fucking good, and claim that it was even better. So it, you know, just just in there, you know, rust rust in peace. Just straight out the bat, masterpiece. You know, now I'm I wouldn't I'm not comfortable. With, I wouldn't be comfortable with somebody calling anything I've done a masterpiece. And I know, and I know they're not about to. So just calm your fucking horses, all right? I'm just saying that I mean I know this is all just schlep, you know, written by In fact, yeah, again, why am I why am I even complaining? Why am I I'm I'm having I'm about to moan about Dave and it's not about Dave, is it? It's about selling books. That's what this is all about. It's not about Dave wanting to be known as a, a fucking uh, genius and a mastermind because in his head that's it how is he that's how he's known anyway so it doesn't matter but ultimately yeah what the fuck am i moaning about i mean if the guy's taking time to actually write a book about rust in peace do you know what i'm gonna fucking buy it that's for fucking sure and, and certainly if you know lockdown is anything like still around in uh, by the time that comes out i will definitely be buying that fucking book without a doubt you can guarantee it um, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I, I mean, I, I remember that album coming out and just thinking, fuck, you know, this is like serious, serious. It is just, it is a phenomenal record. I was listening to it the other day. Um, and it doesn't matter what version you listen to, whether you listen to the original, the remaster, the remix, whatever, you, you're just in for a treat, aren't you? What a classic, classic album. And I'm, I must be mellowing. Because there's a story about Dave there, and I'm not moaning about it. Okay, here's a story about another album that's being celebrated, and that is Pantera launches 30th anniversary of Cowboys from Hell. Oh, are they, Howard? That sounds interesting, doesn't it just? What are they releasing? Well, let's have a look, shall we? Um, It's going to basically, basically, it's everything. It's going to be, it's going to be a compendium. It's going to be a huge re issue okay um 
And it was released on the 24th of July in 1990. So just over 30. In fact, wow, 30 years ago uh, and five days when I'm recording this. So that is pretty fucking amazing, isn't it? Um, So that's coming out. You are going to have all sorts of shit on it and wonderful and great. And, you know, can't wait for that. However, Pantera announced 20th anniversary edition of Reinventing the Steel which is arriving in September. Now, hands up, everyone listening. I don't care where you are. If you're in the supermarket, if you're in work, if you're in bed, if you're driving, wherever you are, I'm asking now, okay? Hands up who will be getting the Reinventing the Steel uh, reissue. And there you go, you see? None of you put your hands up. That's right. Do we really need a 20th anniversary edition of Pantera's probably most middle-of-the-road dull album, which is their last, and it sounds like it. Fucking hell. I'm really, really not getting involved in the hysteria of the 20th anniversary of the re-release of Reinventing the Steel. It wasn't. It was Uninventing Pantera, is what it should have been called. Good night. This is the end. We have had enough this is our final album. I mean, yeah, really, no. That is not a 20-year celebration album. Anyway, I'll tell you what is a celebration. I'll tell you what is a celebration. A celebration is getting the one and only, the legendary Terry Butler on the podcast. Now, Terry and I had a conversation um, a little while ago. I was lucky enough to um, uh, grab some time with him, ask him some questions and have a a, a general chit-chat with one of, if not the, legendary death metal bassist. And this is myself and Terry Butler having a chat just the other week. Hello. Hello there, Terry. Hey, how you doing? I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Excellent, excellent. How's the? Um, I'm afraid the way all interviews start at the moment. How's lockdown treating you? Uh, lockdown's been okay. I mean, it's I've been dealing with it the best I can, <laughs> but uh, all this other stuff is starting to really worry me. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I mean. <sighs> I was supposed to be doing an interview last night with somebody um, in LA and they, you know, they said, look, can we, can we rearrange? Cause it's just a bit crazy around here at the moment. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, you know, it's just, um, what happened to that guy is horrible, but now people that aren't even connected to any of that are just creating problems. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of political stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, it's um, yeah, it's a it's a shame, especially on top of everything else that's going on at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, twenty 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 hasn't been a very uh, good year so far. <laughs> <laughs> that's understatement of the year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, look, um, thanks for doing this. Uh, I know um, uh, my friends at Overkill sort of reached out. I. Um, so I sing in a UK thrash band, Acid Rain, um, have done since back in the late 80s. And, um, well, took a break. A break. Awesome. I've done stand-up comedy for 25 years as uh, um, 
in between stints in the band. So, um, oh yeah, That's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's uh, it, yeah, it's. Um, I tell you what, man, that whole uh, just pick up and go thing is amazing. It really is. You know, yeah. you get a yeah. call, you get a call from an agent, and it's just like, do you want to do this gig? Where is it? When is it? How much is it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's exciting it. and exciting and scary all at the same time <laughs> well yeah yeah you know bigger bigger the risk big bigger the reward but what i've what i've genuinely found now after having been a few years back in a band and is that um as much as i love um stand-up um things are are better enjoyed with other people than on your own so oh, yeah yeah definitely you know, so basically, when you do stand up, there is, you know, there, there, there's nobody that can, there's no one to relate to. You know what I mean? There's yeah, no, exactly. It, I mean, if you're hanging out in the backstage room, you're by yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or you come off stage, you've had an amazing gig, and you've got other yeah. com- you've got other comedians in there who've got to follow that, who do not want to fucking hear it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it is yeah, it's a bit it's it's very strange, but. Still a buzz, still a buzz, uh, and and man. Yeah. So where are we with, um, or where are you with with, with massacre and um, obituary at the moment? In which, because I would imagine, in my tiny little brain is telling me that possibly both bands are, are, are due an album fairly soon. Um, I mean, obviously, COVID nineteen's kicked in. Um, where whereabouts yeah. are you? Whereabouts are you in your cycle with those two, with, with those things? Um, well, unfortunately, in Massacre, um, we kind of broke up in 2015. Oh, my apologies. I know there's a, no, it's okay. I know there's a version going now, but, you know, Rick and I, to rewind a hair, Rick and I got it going again in 2011 and quickly got a record deal with Century Media. Yeah. And it, everything was going great. We put a killer record out. We did a tour with Death to All. Mm-hmm. We had another tour line. We had another tour lined up in Europe with Death to All, but uh, you know, Rick and the drummer uh, Mikey had other another agenda, and they just pretty much destroyed everything after the first tour we did, and the band broke up. But uh, you know, picking up the pieces, falling out of the ashes of that, Cam came through picking the carcass, and basically wants Massacre going again. And I don't care, teach his own. I got so much. I got so much going on right now that, um, you know, that's not even on my radar. Basically, oh, it's man. unfortunate. Yeah. Unfortunate because we put a killer record out, Back from Beyond, but you know, it just fell apart. But I'm so busy with obituary that you know, it. Uh, and speaking of obituary, we're this this COVID break, you know. We're kind of throwing some riffs around, and I think out of this, there will be an album developing out of this break we have, obviously, because there's nothing really else to do but write riffs. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, we're, yeah, we're due for a record anyhow. It's time. So hopefully, through all this, we can put an album together and get it recorded and have it out. You know, in 2021. So. Well, look, that's that's all. That, that's that's awesome, massive, and that's a, that's an all-encompassing answer. Um, and not at one point did you um, actually point out what an arsehole I was for uh, forgetting about all of the uh, the massacre fallout and everything else. So thanks for that. You let me off the hook there. Uh, um, I, I and I, I I fucking remember that as well. And uh, do you know what? It's 
because I mean, for me, you play on two of the greatest death metal albums of all time, which is Leprosy and um, and Spiritual Healing, and um, and we were um, we were on the same label um, back then. In fact, we were supposed we were yeah. supposed to, we were supposed to tour with Death or a, a version of Death or whatever. Um, and I re- yeah. I remember back then talking to people at the label, and uh, it was the label manager Andy Black. I don't know if you ever met him. Um, and he was like, he was like, if we could, if we could just get him to fucking tour, if we get Chuck out of fucking America, <laughs> we could fucking sell shitloads of records. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, man. We uh, before our first tour that we did in '89 uh, for Leprosy, we had several other tours lined up in Europe, and it just never developed. But uh, the first tour we did for Leprosy, we only played about half the shows, and. Uh, you know, Chuck wanted to Chuck wanted to come home. Kind of, he wasn't. We were all kind of not used to going to Europe, but we were willing to stick it out. And the promoter, the booking agent, didn't really get us what he told he told us he was going to get us. So we were kind of rough, we're kind of roughing it. But um, yeah. So I mean, at least we did half the shows. Came back and uh, and uh, sometime you know I went back. For the spiritual healing tour, unfortunately, it was without Chuck. But yeah, that uh, that that is pretty. Know. That's pretty much um, that's pretty much legendary over here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, people... was a, it was it was a ballsy move, but we were kids, kind of, and we just didn't know what to do. You know, we had um, signed all kind of contracts. It was a nine week tour with Creator. They had a whole crew. I mean, you know, we're talking yeah. not only the band, but you had about ten crew members, everyone from a sound man to a lighting guy to a merchandise dude. And canceling that tour, all these people are going to be out of work for nine weeks, and that's pretty shitty. So we just got together and did it, you know. And uh, in hot, I don't know if that was the best thing to do, but we thought it was the best thing to do when we were 21, 22, you know, and, and that's that. <laughs> yeah, but I think look ultimately um, you did it, and I mean, like I said, it's 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 actually spoken of sort of quite fondly over here um, yeah. because it was such a, it's it's you know it's still kind of you know a rare event you know yeah I I saw Chuck without death <laughs> sorry I saw death yeah. without Chuck you know it's kind of like yeah yeah it's pretty fucked up <laughs> but um, yeah that's I mean. Those were those were incredible times, and you've—I mean, you've you've played on a total. I was, unless I've missed any out. Um, is it twenty-one albums so far in your career? In, in the, I think in... that uh, yeah, about that. I mean, I've been really fortunate. Obviously, you know, I, I recorded albums with Death, recorded albums with Obituary, with Massacre, with Six Feet Under. I mean, I've been in some really cool bands. I've been pretty fortunate. So, you know. I can hang my hat on that at the end of the day, at least. Yeah, but I mean, there's, that tells me two things, and that's one that you are um, a, a fucking nailed down bass player, and two that um, uh, you're a decent guy because otherwise <laughs> word gets out and yeah. you, you don't get in any bounds. Yep. Well, you know, you can, I mean, look, look, it's just the way. Uh, ultimately, you know. You are who you are, and sometimes it's um, you know, and, and sometimes it's a great fit. Um, uh, and yeah, spe- I just try, you know, I try to be, on, I just try to be honest, and uh, I'm a team player, and I'm, you know, 
I just love playing music, you know, playing live and all that kind of works together. So. And uh, how were the um, how were the Slayer shows? I saw you guys here at Wembley. Oh, this is amazing. I mean, you know, not only do we get to see Slayer for like twenty five shows, <laughs> but just <sighs> just being accepted by their crowd. I mean, you know, by the time doors opened and by the time we went on stage, the place was at least seventy five percent full, and it was great. And they were super cool. Their crew was amazing. I mean, we we know most of their crew. Anyhow, we knew most of the crew from all the bands, but all the bands accepted us. All the bands were cool. We got along great. You know, we're in obituary. You know, I couldn't be in a better band. All the dudes are on. We're all on the same page. All striving for the same thing. And uh, you know, it was an amazing, uh, amazing time. It was a bucket, a bucket list thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what, but what a thing to come along as well in the, at, at this stage of your career is like, right, okay, arena tour. Now this I did not expect. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like okay, I've been doing this for thirty five years, and finally I got to play in some arenas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if somebody had said so, to you, you know, what's on your bucket list, and you just said an arena tour, and they'd be like, well, you're gonna have to join another fucking band for that. <laughs> and uh, you've done it. I, I definitely. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That. So I mean, I, I can I can die happy now as far as my musician musician life is is you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, I, I noticed about your your Wikipedia page is like is is really just kind of functional. There's there's uh, you know you, usually there is stuff there in about people's lives and stuff like that. I know. I yeah. Wikipedia is weird to me because some you know Joe Schmo that hates you, you can go on there and, and rearrange your information. Yeah. So I should go on there and, and, and beef, beef it up, so to speak, some, but I just haven't, you know. Well, I, actually, I was going to ask if it was just because you were sort of more of a private person, because ultimately on there it's, it's very sort of instructional, you know, the bands you've been in, the years, the albums, etc. Yeah. The, the only bit about you is really that it says you're, that, that you're married with three children, whether or not that is even correct. Um, and that's... That's yeah, it. yeah. I got three children. I got five grandkids. Wow. Um, yeah, those, but, those, yeah, those kids been those kids been busy. <laughs> yeah, I definitely should go on there and kind of, you know, get it a uh, a little more up to date for sure. Are you doing anything? So, what do you do? Kind of, you know, what do you do outside of obituary? Um, just kind of a lot of home life stuff. My grandkids are living with us so you know full-time helping them out and and just i got like a big property here and i I like to be out in the yard a lot planting things and growing vegetables and just chilling out and enjoying life i like a lot of sports watch a lot of sports but right now that's on hold because of the virus obviously but yeah hopefully that will get back into gear well, it should do. It should do eventually. Um, I mean, you know, we we hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, do you get to, um, do you get much time to sort of you know do you do you get much time to sort of like play music or um, you know or, or practice or anything like that at home or is it pretty much just kind of family life? Yeah, I have I have I have time here and there to definitely sit down and noodle around and 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 stuff. I'm always listening to music in general itself, but. 
I, you know, there is time to, to practice and to write some stuff here and there. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of music do you listen to in a, in you know when, when out of personal choice? Uh, well, uh, you know, I'm a child of the '70s, so I like a lot of '70s hard rock, UFO, Thin, Liz- Thin Lizzy's my favorite band. Um, right. UFO, Uriah Heep, Scorpions, but I, I love all the uh, '80s metal and a lot of stuff like that, like Merciful Fate, you know. Right. Okay. Except, um, Slayer, Metal Church, Venom, the New Wave of British Heavy Metal is one of my favorite genres. Just you know, everything I I grew up listening to and like, I still do. You know, just because I'm older doesn't mean I have to not like what I grew up on. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like I don't, I'm kind of stuck in that area a lot. I mean, there's a few bands once in a while I hear that I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of cool and new and fresh. I like that. But uh, generally, it's, I just still listen to what I grew up on. So, and, and, um, so how we're always th- playing music. Sorry, always playing music backstage. No, I'm sorry. We're always playing music backstage, and I'm kind of the DJ. We're always always playing all kinds of cool shit all the time. So. Ah, right. Okay, it's left to yeah. you. <laughs> so how does I mean? I'm thinking back to when you were a kid and you were first like you know. Your first forays into music with Death and in the in the Florida scene. Yeah. Um, were you were you all guys who'd got together who were who who liked those bands and were influenced by those bands and just kind of took it to another level, or were you, or were you listening yeah. to kind of like more sort of underground stuff at the time? Um. Well, we were fortunate. I mean, the high school I went to, the school I went to, there was about five or six of us that kind of all liked the underground stuff, and we. We liked the other stuff too, like Iron Maiden and Scorpions, the more commercial side of it. But we were totally in the underground world, and we got into that. We had a killer record store in our town here, Brandon, Florida, oh, and man. we had a that couple. Makes, we, that makes we, all the difference, doesn't it? That makes. <laughs> oh, when, you, yeah. when you think how important now in the way your life has yeah. turned out, how important that just single record shop was. Of course, because you go in there, and the guy, you know, the guy. Hey, what's up? You know. Yeah. And, Hey, we got some new records in, and a lot of times back then, he would play it and let you hear what it is, or sometimes he just bought it because it looked killer. It was a killer-looking album yeah. cover. Yeah. But, uh, like, some of the bands around here that started, too, were, like, Nasty Savage and Sabotage. They right. were, like, huge influences on us when we were 14 and 15. Right. We would go see them. We would go see them play. And we wanted to be like them, right? So actual, around, sort of around, actual yeah. physical, like live shows and like idols right in your yeah. face. Yeah, and no, uh, we were all into Slayer and Venom. Slayer was just starting, so we wanted to be like that. But, you know, it's an evolution. You want to go faster and be heavier. But that's kind of how the death metal around here started. You know, and a uh, bunch of us that were at those shows would get together and form bands, and that's how Executioner. That's how Death, Massacre, Morbid Angel, all these bands formed was going to these shows and wanting to be like that band, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, so, kind of seeds, seeds were planted at that time and they sprouted, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's it's incredible that, you know, the, the thrash scene had the Bay Area, um, Death Metal had had Florida. Um, yeah. And it's just like, it's like, wow, right, okay, you know, for 
a state that is known as having a, a high percentage of old people living there. I guess that's kind of ironic. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, but it, but it, it's it's incredible. I mean, I, I, you must have been asked this a thousand times, and I'm sorry, but I've got to ask. I mean, why Florida? Any any idea why Florida? Or is it just purely the fact that well, that's where all you kids just happen to be based, and that's what happened? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. You know, you, the old people that you spoke of, they live kind of like on some of the coastal areas and down in Miami and stuff, but like in the interior, they're stayed a little bit. We're true Florida crackers. And, um, you know, we just, a bunch of kids, maybe it was the sun, all the hot sun, humidity and the mosquitoes and alligators just formed us into wanting to play brutal music, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. And, um, and so I mean, when that's, you... I, I don't, you know, that's all I can tell you. Just, <laughs> just that and listening to the other bands and wanting to be in a band myself just kind of that's what that was the recipe so so the band that went on to become death we, we was that um was that something that you saw live as a fan first um or we were you kind of more involved in kind of just meeting up and getting I, on with it it's funny um mantis opened for nancy savage at a place here called ruby's and um, I missed I missed that show, but the following show, so a few months later, Chuck was walking around, and he had a bag full of Mantis demos, and uh, I bought one from him, talked to him, and that's how I met him in '85. Right. Yeah, and then I mean, right around that time was when they broke up and then reformed a few months later as death. And you know what? I was, I was, I was walking around two years later. I was walking around doing exactly the same thing in my town. Um, and that's how I met, you know, that's how I met people who eventually became band members. Um, it's, it's, it's insane when you look back on it, when you just think like, well, right. You know, that's, that was an amazing meeting. But at the time, of course, it's just, it's just, you know, there's just another person you've got no idea at the time of what what can you know potentially lie ahead. Um, so when when did you um, when did you see Chuck again? Um, presumably, did you you know you give him your opinion yeah. on the demo and what did you think to the demo when you heard it? Well, I was amazed. I mean, it was just so raw and heavy. I mean, it was recorded on a boombox in the garage. <laughs> Fuck me! Right. It, it, okay. it was just it was just heavy and raw and just you know it was like venom esque kind of, you know, and, and that was killer, you know, I loved it. And, um, the next time I saw him physically in person was a couple years later when, uh, me, Rick and Bill left massacre and hooked up with death. Um, our first rehearsal, a Chuck actually came out to Bill's house and we talked and hung out and we're like, let's give this a shot. Cause Chuck didn't have a band, you know, he recorded screen, Buddy gore, and then moved home from California. Chris Reifert stayed in California. So Chuck didn't have a band at that point. So we kind of joined forces. Perfect, perfect scenario as well. Exactly what he was looking for. Yeah, I mean, he never, never had a band full, a full band that could actually play shows and tour and stuff like that. And uh, so we kind of solidified the lineup and like a month later we played our first show like the Milwaukee Metal Fest and we did a 
handful of shows to finish out 1987. And then um, in uh, January of 88, we went on the Screamboat of Gore tour in the state. And, um, and how did that go? That was great. We packed into a small van, not like the passenger vans these days. This was just like a tiny, small custom van. And we somehow crammed all of ourselves in there with guitars and T-shirts and luggage and amps and drums. <laughs> we did like 15 or 17 shows up the East Coast and into Midwest. But it was great. Um, even though it was early 88, um, places were packed. People knew about the band and it was just the early early days of death metal getting going, you know, and it was it was awesome. Yeah, it's um, I I kind of I kind of know that feeling of traveling to like yet another place and thinking, well, you know, I wonder if there'll be any anyone here. And if, eventually, you stop thinking that, you know, because yeah. there always is. But in those early days, <laughs> there's always that chance that it's like you're going to turn up and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no one's bothered, no one's here. Yeah. Even that, to this day, I'm, I get excited. The whole process of a show getting to the show loading in getting into your backstage room getting a sound check getting your merch set up waiting for the crowd to come in to see who all's in there you know i just love that feeling i uh, yeah yeah I, I love i love driving past the venue and seeing and seeing a um a queue of people you know people yeah. que- people yep. queuing to get in that is like yeah that's that's fucking awesome that really is um yeah so those um uh, the, the one quote that there is on your Wikipedia page is that um, is that Chuck um, belatedly, belatedly uh, credited you with songwriting credits on um, on spiritual healing. Um, how was the um, you know how was how was the making of that album? I mean, or, or well, let's go leprosy first. It was, was leprosy was what was left over, or did you guys kind of you know work on that together? No, that um, I think by the time. Rick was fired. Um, we maybe had like half of a song written, maybe. And then uh, we started working on material, me, Bill, and uh, Chuck. And um, we realized we needed another guitar player, you know, just for that double guitar attack. And um, a couple local people tried out. One dude was in the band for about three weeks. But um, I told him I knew a dude named james murphy he was a shredder i had met him a few years earlier and he did some he did a tour with agent still and he was at that time in hallow's eve um for about three months and i had his phone number says chuck's like well if you got his phone number let's call him so chuck called him up from his house right there in orlando and said hey you know if you got a moment why don't you come here and let's see how it works out and so when james showed up i mean it was an instant fit you know it was perfect and uh we all started writing the songs i mean we you know i helped write four songs i think james helped write four songs um so it was a great time it was a great feeling of all of us working together and creating that album yeah i mean i I've, I've interviewed james um at length actually because we ended up talking about his you know his his, his brain tumor and everything um, yeah, and um, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm good friends. Having toured back in the day for many, many weeks with um, with Gene, well, with Dark Angel, I'm a good friend of Gene. Yeah. And it's it's funny, it's funny speaking to speaking to everybody. There's there's everybody has their kind of the you know the the Chuck that they dealt with, 
you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's it, it's kind of yeah. I mean, um, I know you know, and I, I know James, you know, wasn't wasn't happy the way things the way things worked out there. Um, and I guess neither were you either, because that's that after that album. I mean, that must have been a really sweet time working on it and all combining together to to create that album. But by the sounds of it, it was it was pretty much downhill from the minute it came out. Well, we did two tours in the states for Spiritual, and those were good tours. And then we did that the tour in Europe without Chuck. But that the last Spiritual tour, the one that that was with Pestilence and Carcass, yeah. The last week of that tour, I noticed a change in in Chuck. He was different. He was distant, and um, which I imagine at that time he was already formulating. Because see, we had one week off, and then we were going to go on tour with Creator in Europe. But I think in his mind, he was running through all the scenarios. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to do the tour. Yeah. He was, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly why, but he was just kind of getting discouraged a little bit with death metal at that point. And um, I think he was just thinking about a bunch of stuff. But, I, you know, I don't know if he really seriously thought through the big undertaking it was to advertise that tour with Creator for like four months. You know, everything involved with it. Yeah. And uh, and all that. You know, I wish he would have done it, stuck it out for nine weeks, and then figured something out after that. But what happened happened. And um, but you know, James did the first tour, and then he was out. Then he slipped into obituary. You know, toured with them for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cancer, I... cancer too. You know. Yeah, and it's and it's um. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's a it's a, a weird old thing um, the the way the way members sort of came and went um, within the Death Family. But then you but then you hooked up with Rick again um, and and put Massacre together in in pretty much like like you know double time. You were you weren't hanging around. Yeah, well, it's funny as um, towards the end of that tour with Creator, I called Rick up from Belgium and was like, "Hey, this is what's going down." Let's uh, you know, let's let's get Massacre back together, and let's just record those old demo songs real quick, because everyone loved the demos, and those you know that songs were written in '86, yeah, and um, record that, that you know those. So From Beyond was recorded pretty quickly after we got home. We signed a deal with Earache, and then uh. We did a couple, you know, we did a tour for that, and then we put out that EP in Human Condition. We did another tour. We did three tours, two in the States, one, uh, two in Europe, one in the States. They were great. Good tours. Amazing. I mean, we're talking 91, 92, right when Death Metal started really taking off. But Rick and Cam, you know, they wanted to be like Pantera, I guess, or something, and they kind of undermined everything, and Bill got discouraged and said, fuck it. So we kind of broke up. But little did we know... But behind the scenes, they were still going and put that and recorded that promise record that Earache Earache buried and didn't release it till like '96 or something. Oh man, it's just yeah, bands, record labels. There's 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 always just like such drama, isn't there? Oh yeah, totally. And especially, I don't think Earache liked the record because it was a totally different direction for Massacre, and it didn't sound like Massacre, and we were. We were a pretty hot commodity at the time, and then that happened, and whatever. You know, I took a, about a year and a half off, and then 
six feet under started up, so I wasn't out of commission too long. Well, no, you weren't, and that was a relentless kind of like return to the scene because that was like that was an album a year for three years, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was you. You must have been pretty much just on the road at that point for like nine, ten months a year. Yeah, in the early days of Six Feet, we toured a lot, which was great. I mean, you know, we did a lot of touring and built up a great following, good crowds. But then it just kind of fell apart towards the end, and uh, the drummer and I quit at the same day. But I was in the band for 16 years. You know, we did a lot of good things and, um, you know, put out some good records. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I always feel like Six Feet doesn't really get its it, it, it credit where it's due in the scene. I mean, do you? Are you are you are you happy with the you know the, the the legacy as it were? Yeah, I mean, the last few years of it kind of was like, you know, pulling teeth. But early on, I mean, you know, people thought, oh, you know, there's a guy from Death in the band, guy from Cannibal Corpse, there's a guy from Obituary in the band. It's going to be like some, I don't know, you know, like spiritual healing meets, you know, eating back to life kind of, or something like that. But the whole thing we wanted to do would just be kind of dark and heavy and kind of groovy, you know, and, you know, haunted is exactly what spirit, what uh, six and under were, you know, that's what we wanted to be. And, um, I think it's, you know, great record. I think I think the first three records are great records. Yeah, and and to go from I mean from by by this by this point, you know, you you've you've now done you've done Massacre, then Death, then Massacre again. Um you're in Six Thunder, Six Foot Under. Then those those years in those years in Six Feet must have been must have repaired a lot of damage to you sort of personally because all of that fucking about can really get you down yeah yeah you know um exactly six feet was pretty stable for a long time and and that stability was cool it was nice to have you know um death every every lineup of death every year of death was very dramatic and turbulent (laughs) that's just that's just the way it was yeah you know and (laughs) the master thing was master thing was short-lived to, to, to get into six feet for a while like that, you know, it was a it was a good thing. Do you, do you know what? I, I just had this image, this image, and it's almost like you know you're this this foster kid getting bounced from homes. Do you know what I mean? It's like death, yeah. no, kicked out of death, right? Oh, no, out of death, death doesn't fit right. No, sorry, massacre, then death, then massacre again. <laughs> and it's just like oh, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. It's like let's just have some stability somewhere. Um, yeah, exactly. But I, but I know what I know what it feels like though as well. When you, especially when you're in a band where something like Death, where where everything's going well, and that and and at some point you realise that when things are going well, that that's the time to start worrying because something's going to go wrong. Yeah, I mean, Chuck to me was like a candle burning at both ends. I mean, it it burns very bright. And it's it's amazing, but at some point it kind of burns itself out yeah. a little bit. And uh, you know, when I was in the band, obviously that candle was lit on both ends and burning very brightly. But along with that comes sometimes some decisions from the leader of the band that maybe aren't very good for the band. So you got to kind of deal with that too. 
Yeah. But um, I think for the most part, except for that last tour, you know, I got along with Chuck great. We had a good time, me, him, and Bill. We used to go record shopping together. We'd spend the night together, watch horror movies together. I mean, it was it was a good time. Do you know what? The funny thing is, uh, uh, Gene said exactly the same thing. He said, my entire time in death was great. Loved it. Got on with Chuck. Yeah. Fine. And he said, but the last two weeks of the last tour that I did with him, horrendous. Well, he, you know, Chuck just started, um, I don't know, not believing in James or not wanting to be around James for whatever reason. Um, and it just kind of, you know, Chuck's the type that. I oh, sorry, no, I meant Gene. Just, Gene, as in Gene Hoglan, as a, not as opposed oh, to James. Gene. Yeah, Gene. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Gene. Yeah, yeah okay. he, he said he had this, he had the exact same experience as you, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it uh, it kind of just fell apart. But you know, like I said, I don't know. He had something going on. People have talked about that the tumor started. Then it was already going. That's why he was kind of erratic with his thinking sometimes. Hot and cold, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. Who knows? But, you know, just fortunate enough to, that he you know, gave me a chance to be in the band and allowed me to do what I did and, you know, kind of helped kickstart my career, so to speak. So Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and kickstart a whole new fucking genre as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Did, did you ever, um, uh, you know, once you once you cease being in death, did your paths ever cross again? Was was there any kind of like you know conversations further down the line, any kind of sort of reconciliation or anything like that? Actually, no. Uh, there was there was a couple times we were on the same bill at a festival or something, and and uh, you know, I, I was still kind of, I wouldn't say bitter, but it just wasn't the bridge hadn't been repaired, you know? Yeah. So I just, I just kind of, I didn't want to pursue anything. Yeah. Obviously now I wish I, w- I w- would have, but I just like, you know, I didn't go up to him and try and bury the hatchet. And I just, you know, did you, didn't do it. did, did you, um, were you aware of him wanting to sort of bury the hatchet with you at all? Or was it, or was it that, at that age, it's very much a case of, well, like, you know, whoever gonna, whoever's going to make the first move, it's not going to be me. Well, I think he would have been receptive to it, because like I said, besides how it fell out at the very end, we were good friends, and we got along great, and yeah. had a lot in common. But, yeah. you know, I'm not the, I'm kind of a shy dude, and I'm not one of a super life of the party outgoing dude, so that's probably why I didn't go over to him and start talking to him. But uh, that's like it. I said, I wish I would. I wish I would have, but I didn't. So yeah, oh, well, something I, something I got to kind of deal with. But but that's that's interesting that you say that. Um, you know, you're a, you're a kind of you're a kind of shy dude, which will you know surprise some people listening. Do, does does going out on stage, um, you know, carry still carry nerves for you, or is or is or is your sort of shyness more sort of on a on a sort of social one to one level? Um, going on stage, I've never had an issue from day one because I just told myself, you know, you know, this music, you've practiced it, you can play it in your sleep, you know it, and you can play it. So 
getting on stage there should be no difference you know you just get up there and play i'm not worried about like someone staring at me or looking at me i don't care about that but one-on-one in social circles and stuff like that i'm not a social butterfly it's weird I, I just you know you got some people that can walk around and make friends with anybody but i don't know i'm just kind of reserved but it's like once you know me and once i know you it's a different story but i'm definitely on the shy side and that and has that do you think so sort of, was being in a band ever about kind of i don't know sort of trying to not be shy or and it didn't work or was it or was it just you know was it was there any kind of aspect to that where you were like you know i I wish i was more outgoing well yeah i definitely wish i was more outgoing in 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 that area as far as hanging out you know you know there was those dudes that knew everyone and they're the life of the party and all that that just was never me even to this day people are always like do you ever talk (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I just like to listen and watch and stuff, so, you know, but had I been very open and talkative, I might not be where I'm at now, who knows, so you can't mess with what's happened, so. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, 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 I mean, you might have, you know, you might have had a, 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 you know, um, a meeting with Chuck, you might have, yeah, your career could have gone off anyways, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's it's funny though, isn't it? That that do you, do you find that there's there's a kind of person there's a part of your personality that you get to kind of sort of release on stage that you that you you know you don't in normal life. Yeah, I mean, you know, even though I'm playing in a death metal band, it's just that feeling that I'm not going to say you feel like a rock star, but when you get up there on stage, you're like, this is awesome. These one thousand people are here to see my band play music that I help write. They love it. They're singing the lyrics. It's just a great time. So you get this big rush, you know, it's a high. And um, I love that, you know. So that's one of the reasons I love playing shows is, you know, you get that feeling and it's an awesome feeling. If it wasn't for those people out there, we wouldn't be on stage. So Yeah, it is It is an awesome buzz. And um, uh, it I mean, one I've I've always struggled with kind of trying to generate any kind of buzz or enthusiasm for going in the studio. Uh, don't get me wrong, you know I, I I love I love writing music and I love creating it. And then um, yeah, it's not always the funnest of times in the studio. Although I had a brilliant time on our last album, which changed my mind completely. How do you um, how do you kind of take it to the studio? Well, the studio is definitely scary because you're on you're under a microscope. You know. Oh, and now more um, now more than ever. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's even to this day after recording a bunch of records. When you get into the studio, there's a slight bit of nervousness. It's not so much that you're not going to perform your part. It's just you want to make sure you got the right bass tone you want. And then sometimes you're playing along, doing great, and you get into it, you forget, okay, hey, there's a change right there. So you got to <laughs> stop. And back in the day, it was rewind the tape, but now it's just Pro Tools, which makes it so much easier. But, oh, you know dude, I mean? dude, you are you are talking to somebody who does predate cut and paste and worked on tape. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I'd say on, yeah. on our third album, I was really struggling. to. I, I was like a semitone out on a note. So we slowed the yeah. fucking tape down. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, so we just slowed it down ever so slightly and then played it back. And you know what? No, well, I was going to say, do you know what? No one knows, but it's a bit, it's a bit yeah. late now now I've said that. Um, well, um, yes. working with Scott Burns, working with Scott Burns back in the day, he was the master at splicing the tape, splicing the splicing. tape, doing all kinds yeah. of stuff. Oh, man, he, he was the master of that. And we, did you all... Did it, you all... it always amazed me. Did you all crowd? Did you all crowd round as well when you're doing a mix? Because it's like you'd, you'd need like fucking ten hands to do a mix. Oh yeah, we would. We would all, even to this day, as much as we can, we we would all be sitting in the studio, especially back in the day, listening to the mix. But I remember. You know, I remember back, two cents worth in. I remember back in the day as well, where it'd be like you know you, you'd you'd have different parts in a song, and you'd need different levels at different times. So like you know, oh, yeah. so you'd like got two or three people on the desk. So as the song carries on, people are kind of like moving levels and sliders because it's like, you know, this predates flying faders and all of that. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. I was like, we had yeah, sixteen track studio, which was about the size of like, um, probably a, a, a very very big family sideboard. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's just ridiculous. But um, yeah, know. like you said, we're you're under really under the microscope now though. Oh, totally. It's, it's like you're out there on an island totally all by yourself and everyone's staring at you. You're, it's like uh, you're in an aquarium fishbowl, you know. <laughs> and, but, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the beast there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, and, um, I mean, it, also, everything is um, with, with, well, with with Pro Tools, etc. Have you found Have you found kind of like obvious advantages of using it? Um, or you know where where you can do you just want to basically you know keep it as organic as possible? Oh yeah, we you know there there are people out there, there's bands out there that okay play the rhythm once, okay copy and paste it everywhere. We're yeah. not like that, you know. We I play the song from front to back, and um, you know what's great about Pro Tools is okay you're playing through the song, you hit a bad note, you just keep rolling, you just rewind and go back and redo that note, you know, so. Yeah. Back in the day, you'd have to stop right there, you know, but yeah. now you can just roll right on through and you just rewind it and plug it in, you know, just get that note in there and you're in and out. Yeah, I mean, and editing, drums-wise as well, that's made such a difference. Yeah. I mean, it's like, because, you know, our, our drummer is 20 years younger than the rest of us. So when I was when he was learning, when he was learning stuff that's recorded in the like late 80s, early 90s, and he's going, but it's it, it's 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 sped right up at the end. And it's like, yeah, because it was all done in one fucking take. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, you're just you're getting through it sometimes. And sometimes you're running out of time. You got to nail it. You only there might be a no one's going to know that there's a different fluctuation something but you do you know but whatever it just happens it's like when we recorded leprosy we were we used drum triggering which was like kind of a new technology at the time well, yeah. slightly especially for death metal it was a new thing and the producer we had really wanted to try it and some of the drum fills bill was doing uh, it wouldn't catch all the tom hits you know so when we recorded the songs, Bill had to kind of simplify some of the tom fills, you know, so it would catch all of them. And that, that's I, why it's funny to me. That's why it's funny these days when I hear people say, "Yeah, but it's just such simple drumming." Well, you don't know the whole story. <laughs> you know, he couldn't do all, he he couldn't do all the fills he wanted to do because 
of the technology, you know. That's basically, <laughs> ba- basically, uh, the technology couldn't keep up with Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I imagine, you know, how he's telling that story. Yeah. You know, practice room, it sounded, you know, drum patterns were a lot different. But you go into studio, again, under the microscope, and the technology not working totally for you. Because that technology, you know, let's face it, you know, probably made for bands like Def Leppard and shit like that, not for death metal bands, you know. Um, yeah, well it, well, it certainly explains the, let's call it, rather unique sort of sound on the album. Yeah, I mean, the drums inherently are a little too loud, in my opinion. Totally agree. Um, but that's just, at the time, we didn't think so. <laughs> yeah. So, but you listen to it now, you're like, okay, well, the drums are definitely in the mix. I wish the guitars may have been a little louder in spots here and there, but whatever. That's just the way it was back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, and then and then, well, when you laid down the spiritual healing, I mean, now you know by now you've kind of you know you've all worked that album together. Was it a fairly sort of routine uh, routine job in the studio? Um. I mean, for like Bill, he was already he already knew what was. We didn't we didn't sound replace the toms on that album. We just right. did the bass drums, so he didn't have to worry so much about that on that album. Right. Only the bass drums were sound replaced. Yes, which it's still his. It's still his. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You you, yeah. you hit the drum, you hit the bass drum ten times. You pick the best sounding hit and you sample that for every time. So it was still yeah. his drum sound, just consistent, which he already was very consistent drummer metering wise you know and, uh, uh, and that's, but, um, that, but the thing is like you said they, they, people don't realize that this that they're like some of this technology has been around a lot longer than you think yeah yep definitely um well look um terry i have got I, look thank you very much for your time i have a few uh listener questions for you if you could um okay. if you could spare me a few more minutes would that be okay yeah, that's great. Awesome. All right, well, look, Terry, thank you very much. I really appreciate you giving up your time today. And um, for okay. now, don't go anywhere, but for now, thank you very much. Thank you. And that right there is the legendary, legendary Terry Butler. What an absolute privilege it was chatting. And um, he did go on to answer um, brilliant um questions submitted by patreon subscribers if you'd like to become one of them and be able to submit questions yourself and also have your own podcast and get this podcast before everyone else gets it and loads of other extras it is uh, patreon.com forward slash howard h smith five dollars a month that's uh well i think it's six dollars in total including tax just over five pounds in real money um and you get shared loads of content sign up for a month download everything i've done for a couple of years and then go and go again it's entirely up to you but there's lots of really cool stuff there just ask any patron and they will tell you exactly the same um yeah really enjoyed that and uh, and like i said went on to do another uh, 20 minutes of really insightful questions from patrons instead of my usual bullshit um and um no, it was really really cool so uh, what else has been going on in metal we have um yet another 
Aussie documentary. The Nine Lives of Aussie Osborne. Hey, you see what they've done there, eh? Cats, they have nine lives. Aussie, oh, he's a little bit dangerous in here. He's a little bit of a rascal, eh? Is he going to put a dress on to go out because his wife has hidden all his clothes when he was an alcoholic? And we all laugh about that hilarious story when Aussie Osborne was such a, such a fucking riddled alcoholic that he, had, that he went out drinking in his wife's dress because she'd hidden all of his clothes. What a hilarious story about Ozzy's addiction that nearly killed him, eh? And that time he snorted ants. What a hilarious story. I mean, come on. We all know the Ozzy stories. Oh, the nine... Can there really be anyone out there? Anyone who is even slightly fascinated by the fact that Ozzy Osbourne is still alive or that he's had a slightly crazy life? Or, I don't know, maybe... They, you might have heard, they might have heard, someone might have heard that once upon a time, Ozzy bit the head off a bat. Yeah, that's right. So that will no doubt be an absolutely brilliant, insightful read. And it'll reveal loads of interesting stuff that none of us ever knew. No, it won't. You know why? Because Ozzy is an open book. His life is an open book. And it was even a fucking documentary for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. So... They've even talked about bringing that back. Jesus Christ, please don't. So, really, do we need do we need another book on Aussies? Like, I don't, I don't really think we do. But you know, maybe we do. We need Aussies autobiography. What we don't need is yet another fucking book about Aussie by somebody else. Certainly not fucking Sharon. Anyway, um, take this web address down. Go and visit this website. To really bother with websites anymore well you're better with this one because this one is called fistfullofmetal.co.uk yeah that's one word that's right the, i don't know why i went i don't know why i give it the old yeah there that just fucking absolutely popped in there that was really weird i was literally that was almost like an out of body experience hearing me go yeah thinking what the fuck was that about how are you gonna have to address that um yeah that was fucking odd um, and I can't remember what I was going to fucking say now because I've gone off on a fucking ADHD tangent and now I can't remember where I was. Jesus. Right, I am actually genuinely going to have to... Oh, right, we were talking we were talking about Aussie, weren't we? And, and, and uh, I don't know, were we? Hang on a second. Fistful of Metal. Okay, the website is for a magazine, a new magazine coming this October. Yeah, from a reputable source as well. Now, I'm you are going to be hearing all about this um, between now and October. I am going to be getting uh, Miles Hackett. I nearly said Miles Kennedy. Definitely not Miles Kennedy. Miles Hackett on the show. Um, uh, he who um, is the label head of Dry Heave Records, who put out Acid Rain's return single on vinyl all those years ago. Thank you very much. Um, we've also had um, Miles on the podcast. He's the man that was curating the noise back catalogue for BMG. And he is also involved in fistfulofmetal.co.uk, a new mag coming in October. Now, I'm sure you're going to be able to get hold of that. So wherever you are in the world, visit the site and I will be giving you more information on that magazine as and when. And you will be getting a chance to hear from uh, Miles himself before the magazine launches. So... Without further ado, it is now time to announce the next interview. And that is with Whitney Moore. Now, Whitney interviewed me. Um, oh, sorry. Whitney. 
Whitney, Whitney interviewed me or Whitney interviewed I. No, it's not I, is it? Whitney interviewed I. <laughs> Whitney interviewed I for a magazine I. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just a little bit confused. I've managed to confuse myself there. Um, so <laughs> myself is probably what I should have said, not me or... Anyway, I was interviewed by Whitney for Tower Records, the LA Tower Records, the Tower Records, because um, all of our stuff was come, um, was released. Um, well, the back catalogue was released earlier this year uh, for the first time in the States. So we did a great... We did a, re- a really good chat as well. It's not for me to say, is it? But it, I really enjoyed it. Really cool. We got on really well. And um, I wanted to know a little bit more about Whitney. She's um, obviously on the rock and metal side of things in um, uh, uh, working for Tower and in the general media sphere um, and in the world of metal. So I just wanted to have a chat to her about, you know, with that, I, I'm not going to say, about her experiences in the world of metal and rock up to now, what she's up to, what she does outside of music. And anyway, here it comes. I don't know why I'm telling you all of this, because you're going to hear it now. What's the point of even playing the interview if I'm going to tell you what happens in the interview? I am such a fucking idiot. Okay, listen to Whitney. Don't listen to me. Just listen to Whitney now. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I am very well. How are you doing? Oh, my gosh. It's crazy over here (laughs) i'm excited to talk about it wow yeah it's all a bit nuts isn't it yeah it really really is it just keeps getting crazier and it's just i mean like on top of you know uh, a a pandemic for the first time in a hundred years you've now got Mm -hmm. riots and god knows what else going on it's crazy yes i (laughs) i'm very happy to um It'll be very cathartic to talk about it today because it's I've just been endlessly scrolling my Twitter feed lately. Well, in which case, why don't I just why don't I just give it the old "you go, girl"? <laughs> get it, get it <laughs> off your chest. If it's inspired by Twitter, then uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The world's human garbage seems to pile up on Twitter. Yes, it's true. Okay, I'm yeah, I'm ready. So, so what? What's happened on Twitter? Where, like you said, you've been scrolling through. What's um, what's caught your eye? Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't know we were recording. Oh already. shit! Sorry, <laughs> no. Yeah, I do apologize. Yeah, I always, oh, I always okay. do this. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I'm sure you know um, the Black Lives Matter movement has extended through beyond just the United States. And oh, it's yeah. Been, yeah. I mean, I, I take actually a, a very optimistic um, standpoint because, you know, obviously everybody is out of work because of the pandemic. And so I think everybody's eyes have just been glued to this. And, you know, every every day there are more deaths and every day there's something new to be mad about. And it's been invigorating to see people uh, come together and, and unite in this way. And it's also a side effect is that people are really outing themselves in ways that I've never seen people tell on themselves before because people's response to things are have, you know, it really, really shows where they're at. Like, you know, the people who want to chime in on the conversation and say, well, actually all lives matter, or they only want to talk about looting when in fact we were all received a $1,200 stimulus check to be expected for that to last for four months in a pandemic. And now people are mad about looting, I don't know, Walmart that makes billions and billions of dollars. Like it's so backwards and it's so crazy to see people just telling themselves like that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, well, we've we've got uh, we've got the the war memorial whole thing has developed over here where people yeah. are people are rocking up to protect them, um, and um, the uh, the London mayor has actually kind of I think just covered up the Churchill statue completely. Um, wow! Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, uh, do this in a way if um if covid weren't happening now because everybody is already going crazy inside their houses and then we see all of this shit going down and and how you know even in the middle of a pandemic cops are still blur- murdering black people and it's like okay enough's enough and you see people risk their lives and go out in the streets and protest for it and it's invigorating but it's also like we're really starting to see the seedy underbelly of how shit works out here, um, you know, especially with the L.A. chief of police. And, um, you know, Los Angeles has a, a really sordid history of police brutality against its citizens. And seeing there was a Zoom call that was, um, you know, it was the day after the the, the protests kind of started out here. Um, and. It was crazy to see how little they cared. They were just, they were so passive. And and I think that they took like a tiny sliver off of the budget. But um, to see how it, it works from the top is something that I'm certainly only becoming really aware of. And, and you know, I've, I've lived in Los Angeles uh, coming on 10 years this August. And um, this is my first time really, really peeling back uh, how things work and really seeing the way money is distributed and the way, you know, how cops are being paid and how it's just fucked from the, from the very top. Yeah. Like from the inside, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you since, you know, since this is a, a rock and metal podcast, I recently uh, started listening to a band that I hadn't really uh, listen to. I was obsessed with them in high school, and that's Rage Against the Machine. Um, <laughs> right, never well, yeah. a more appropriate time. So funny. So on Twitter, that was one thing that I, I saw people. Um, some people were reaching out to Tom Morello and were like, "I don't understand why you're getting so political, and why are you talking about all this?" And he's like, "Did you like listen to a single?" Rage Against the Machine lyric? Do yeah. you think that Bulls on Parade are just like literally about bulls at a parade? Is that what you think? It w- yeah. <laughs> it, w- it was not about their time on holiday in Spain. Um, no, it's so funny. And and, uh, and man, I was obsessed with them in high school because um, the, the energy of that band, you know, with uh, really without fully understanding the gravity of, of everything they were talking about when I was 15, I knew it. It, it really stirred something up inside me and uh, kind of awakened me to counterculture stuff and, and looking at things another way. And um, I listened to them again a couple of days ago and I was like, man, it's very cathartic. It's very, it really captures the spirit of a revolution. And, and I'm really hoping that people keep going and, and real changes is able to happen. Well, it's not just you because that's been that's been reported as a um, as like basically Rage Against the Machine. All of their all of their stuff is like all their streaming figures are through the roof, and it, it, yeah, <laughs> it's like seriously. The weird thing is, I thought you were going to be talking about that, but yeah, I, I was. I read an article only today um, uh, about how yeah they are um, they're they're a, 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 you know a voice voice of a generation and that that. Um, people are streaming them like like mad, and uh, you know they're as popular now as they were in their heyday. Which is, it's 
cool because they're a great band, obviously, but the fact that these messages are still so relevant and nothing has really changed is that's yeah. depressing. But yeah, that's... something that I'm really learning is that change isn't just going to happen. It's not going to be uh, even a matter of just writing to your representatives like this. This is what we're seeing is a revolution. And, and I just hope it keeps up. And it's been so cool to see people share their protest tips. Have you seen that? Um, yeah, I have. And I've also seen some really, really cool footage as well as I, I, I watched some footage this morning of protesters talking to people who were there to protect the monuments. And the, and, the, oh. and, and the protesters were was like talking to this like so basically you had this black dude with his with his bandana done up to his nose and a hood you know to basically just see his eyes then you got this sort of white dude who looks like like kind of like you know kind of round and in his sort of <laughs> mid fifties and out of shape um, and very white and. Um, and red from suntan and saying, well, and he's, and he's saying, well, look, we, we're, we're just here to protect the monuments. We're just here to protect the monuments. And, the, and the, you know, the, the, the guy from Black Lives Matter is saying, well, look, we're not here to mess with the monuments in any way. And in fact, if anybody starts messing them, we'll, we'll help you protect them. And you can see this bloke going, but, you know, that's just all we want to. And, uh, hang on, what did you say? <laughs> and, and, they, and they end up, they end up agreeing uh, shaking each other's hand, and it was just—it was just like really, you just think, oh god, you know, I—I I really need to see more of that right now. It is nice to see some unity between people. Uh, most of the white people that I've seen at these protests, we've been saying, look like a bowl of mashed potatoes that came to life because they're just like they're so sentient and like like they, they just look like a, a bunch of white carbohydrates yeah over here that's called the wayne rooney look but um that you probably yeah. don't you, you know um but um yeah it's uh it, it it it's kind of weird the way um the the way it's spread as well and and it, it's clearly it's clearly become about i mean obviously it was started by by george floyd but it, it's it's taken on if it's possible even even larger consequences now Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's George Floyd, and it's also every other. You know, we 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 got his killers arrested. One of them has already gotten off, but it's our. It's there have been more deaths since the protests even began. There were two lynchings that happened in California, which is a a very blue state. Like it's it's pretty liberal out here, and two black men were found hanging from trees yesterday and the day before. It's absolutely insane. It's one thousand percent because of Donald Trump inciting these uh, this disparity between people, and people feel emboldened to just be fucking racist. And man, it's it's crazy because it really feels like you know it feels like a season finale. It feels like we're we're leading up to a threshold, and something is going to give. And I'm just hoping it moves in the right direction. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, let's hope so. Let's hope so. And when when are you so when is the when are the general when's the general election? When do you all go to the polls? November. Um, although they they've started in other states and um, voter suppression has been you know people have been like joking about how even if he's not even if he doesn't win they'll have to like forcibly remove Donald Trump from the White House. Um, oh, I don't doubt that at all. <laughs> But I'm not even I, I feel like it's not even going to get to that because we already in, in states where voting has started to happen. There's already so much voter suppression and they're using COVID as 
um, a way to to bypass write-in ballots, and, and we've seen time and time again that um, doing digital polls can be very easily corrupted. And so it's a big mess, and it's crazy because it's it's so. I mean, speaking as as an American, I was raised, and I don't think this will surprise you. You know, we're raised absolutely indoctrinated into the America is number one, America is the best, blah, blah, blah. It's it's there from the very, very beginning that you're, you're conditioned to believe this way and oh, you, you I, don't. I, in I history, they don't teach you any of the bad things. And so it's been so crazy, you know, in the, the last half of my life to sort of wake up to that. I, cu- I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to say this. Um, I, I <laughs> this is something I've never said on the podcast before. Um, <laughs> I lost my virginity to a, an American girl um, because we. Um, oh. um, sorry, for some reason, twice. Yeah, so twice people have tried to ring me tonight, and I, I, I've got <laughs> no calls during the day. None. <laughs> That was some. That was some really wonderful comedic timing because you said I've never said this on the podcast before, and then it, it cut out. Oh <laughs> um, well, I do apologise. Okay. Uh, so, so basically, yeah, I lost my virginity to an American girl. I've had to say that twice on air now. That's oh. great. <laughs> and um, I th- what was weird was that I delivered that line, and then there was total silence, and I was like, "Oh my god, is she like? Is she gone?" Um, so, so, so anyway, this is there is a point to this. Um, she was from um, an American base near from where I was uh, brought up, um, and you know that was the first time that I'd spoken to somebody where it was like it was for real. To, you know, the whole pledge of allegiance every morning, every morning, and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, and that was just—I mean—that really is for me. That—that's the thing that kind of make that that makes me go, "Whoa, right, okay, that's a bit weird," because if you if you if you put Chinese people in those classes or if you put, you know, German kids in those classes, all of a sudden it takes on a, a completely different overtone. But apparently, you know, it's OK um, for the largest country in the world to uh, to behave like this. It's just it's just insane. It's crazy. Did she sing the national anthem the whole time? Oh well, that's the other thing. That's the other thing. We we do we do um you know we have sport here too, but we don't really we don't find the need to remind people every time they go to an event which country it's in. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And and you know, speaking again with like Black Lives Matter, you know, I did you see all of the hubbub from people taking a knee during the national anthem? Um, that was a passive form of protest against police brutality in America, against black people. And people started boycotting the NFL. People started boycotting, um, like, the, the sports brands that supported it and the, the performers, the, the sports stars. I don't watch sports, but people started, like, boycotting all across just because people were taking a knee during the protest. I mean, think about that, which is literally the most passive thing that you could possibly do to have a statement and how mad people were about that no fucking wonder people are rioting now because no one was listening people were getting mad and like boycotting them back when it was just taking a knee yeah well i I mean but but yeah you see you see the thing is i remember that and i also remember that it wasn't it wasn't a massive deal initially but trump dug it up after a long time and said basically look um, you know, 
that this isn't this isn't right that we've got yeah. you know that this is this isn't right this is um you know it's unconstitutional it's anti-american and he's and he kind of had a go at the the nfl didn't they didn't he? He did. And, and then yeah. they, they, they've responded badly. And funnily enough, they're one of the few sporting organisations that I've seen who've actually reacted to this and, and been very good about it and literally held their hands up and says, do you know what? We have got this wrong from day one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so crazy and, and unthinkable how much this president wants our country to be divided, how much he wants to turn it in on itself. It's it's absolutely unthinkable, and in a way, it's kind of like not to give him too much credit, but um, almost like you remember the movie Fight Club. Yes. Um, almost like Tyler Durdening America, where like he is such a villain that it's getting people to talk about these things because things have had to get so bad before anyone is able to be passionate enough to like try to change something, and so in a weird way. Yeah, he's waking all of us up and, you know, having us really look back at America's history and be like, oh, it's literally never been good if you're a person of color. America has never been great. It's literally founded on slavery. It's not anything to be proud of. And it's our jobs now that we're having these conversations to try to undo that and try to, like, save ourselves in some kind of way. Um, have you seen the movie Team America, World Police? Oh, yeah. We just rewatched it. It's up on Amazon, and man, that movie holds up. It is so so good, and just such a perfect roast of of American identity politics. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, well, the thing is, we, we, I mean, it was just, yeah. The fact it's made with puppets is is hilarious, um, but. Yeah, I've got to say it, it 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 was it was one of those things that when I saw it I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. It's very brave, <laughs> very brave. Yeah, dude, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, they're they're national treasures. They just uh last year we saw their uh book about uh being Mormon, their or their their Broadway show Mormon the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Um it's not Mormon the musical. And yeah. are there Mormons in Europe? I I, I realize that's probably just an, an American thing. No, I went. I've 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 seen the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I I guess I I really this is a thought I've never had before because you know obviously it's about how Jesus was American or yeah. something. Oh, or like it's, it's the Bible was found here. Like fucking truly insane, insane like hyper nationalist shit. And oh yeah. So I, yeah. I I have never comprehended the idea that that Mormons might exist outside of the United States. That oh I, like, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's um, it's it's incredible. I mean, you know, it's the basis of a religion. Um, it barely holds water as the basis of one episode of a sitcom, frankly. But <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and and um, and yeah, it won. It's it's on the West End here. It's been on. It's been on. I mean, it's it, it, you know, it's always sold out. And it won Best New Musical the first year that when it debuted in its debut year, it won Best New won the won the Laurence Olivier Award for Best New wow. Musical. I yeah, I have to say, when I saw it, I was surprised because I, I was expecting the classic, you know, very dry Matt Stone and Trey Parker humor, but I wasn't expecting it to be a legitimately like beautiful 
beautifully performed show with, with uh, really, really great songs. Man, I miss theater so much. Oh, yeah, there's well. I wonder when I'm going to be able to go see oh, it again. Don't get, start, don't get started on the what you miss, because then we'll just be here all night <laughs> playing tennis with what we both miss. And it's like, I miss this. I miss this. Is, are things like slowly reopening where you are? Because just yeah. in Los Angeles, yeah. they've started reopening things and absolutely no one is excited about it. Yeah, we well basically yeah. I mean, it, uh, public transport you have to wear a mask. Um, still, pubs, restaurants, things like that. Uh, none of that's open. None of that's looking like opening anytime soon. Um, it's, it's they've they've started opening restaurants here, and and gyms are going to start opening next week. And it's basically they're they're going to try to make things go back to how it used to be. But it's so it's it's so obvious that it's just because they don't want to send out any more support. You know, there was one one $1,200 check. Some people still haven't even gotten it, and that was four months ago. And they're like, okay, good luck. You better start opening or else you're going to be closed down. You can't, you, good yeah, luck. You, just, you can't do... Um... You can't have gyms. You can't have gyms open. You can't have people sweating all over equipment and other people getting on that equipment. Yeah, it's it's going to be a shit show. I'm actually I'm, I'm going tomorrow up to the Bay Area where my family is just to get out of Los Angeles for a little while. And then I'm going into the mountains in a cabin to just be alone for a, a, a while. And then I imagine I'll come back to a very different Los Angeles, a uh, much sicker version than it than it has been. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to get out of the city for a little while. So you're going all the way up to San Francisco? Um, San Francisco, it's about 45 minutes ah. um, north of, of where my family lives. Right, and, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. I love the Bay Area. Um, well. It's not, it's not quite as arts-oriented. I, I moved down to L.A. a decade ago to pursue acting, and, um, you know, there's San Francisco and the theater district, but it's so much tech now it's all the tech industry and even people who lived in san francisco you know 10 years ago have been pushed out because now it's just just all the apps live there yeah well well look check you out coming on a thrash metal podcast and then just dropping into the conversation casually (laughs) that you're going to stay over in the bay area and like that almost instantly we changed topic into music. Thank you very much, that's Whitney. That's an amazing segue. It Love is exactly that's. I mean, that's what that's why I'm making such a big deal of it. It deserves to be recognised. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> when you started, when you said the Bay Area, I'm going to go to. I was thinking, oh, bless you, girl. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, we're obviously home to um, what would be my favourite um, uh, genre of music. Obviously. Um, and obviously, and obviously, you are um, you do have uh, you know you said you said very kind things about our album. Thank you very much. And so, <laughs> you obviously have like you know metal sensibilities. Um, it, it, did that help um, get your role with 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 Tower? You know, what's what, how did that come about? Yeah. So actually, I've been I've been working in the metal space for um, probably about six years. My um, when I moved to Los Angeles initially. Um, my first job was writing comic book reviews um, for a couple outlets because I, I love comics and video games. And I reached out to a um, an outlet called Metal Sucks. And I uh, my my now husband uh, is has always helped me shoot videos for YouTube, and we work really easily together. So I just pitched them a show, and I was like, Hey, we both love metal. 
I would love to do a news show for you guys. And we started doing a show called, <laughs> called That's So Metal, and it was just about um, things that were very metal that happened that week that were outside of the, the music industry, like a man gets half-eaten by a bear and then drives himself to the hospital and, you know, just like, you know, things that you'd be like, oh, that's metal as fuck, dude. Um, and we put way too much effort into it and uh, didn't get paid very much, but that's okay. Metal sucks is great. It's just like two dudes in Brooklyn doing their thing. And then we did a, a proper metal news show with them for about two years. And um, we, I actually I got to go on tour and, uh, and go to some metal festivals and do a lot of man-on-the-street stuff, which I love because metal festivals and, uh, and rock concerts always have the funniest drunk people who love being on camera. Yeah. They love... Uh, they they love goofing in front of the camera and um and then that's that's when I met um my my boss now uh, Jeff Kurlitz. he he used to actually work for Heavy Metal magazine which I love it's the perfect intersection of, of sci-fi and fantasy and comic books and horror and and heavy metal um all that good stuff and yeah. he left Heavy Metal magazine to go work for Tower and he hit me up because um they were supposed to relaunch at South by Southwest. And um, they had all these grand plans to interview musicians, but it, it kind of has worked out in a nice way because we've had the opportunity to interview so many great bands and so many uh, metal bands that I like. You know, that that's my my favorite genre. So, yeah, it's been it's been really really cool. It's been also just a nice thing to have as a gig during all this stuff because obviously, you know, I'm not auditioning or or shooting movies or anything. <laughs> Yeah, so wow. I mean, that's like that's a a a whole world of kind of information and stuff, right? <laughs> that's like wow. So it's so. Um, how long have you how long have you uh, been married? And did you did you kind of you know what what came first? Were you know work or or romance? We um, we got married in September and congrats. Um, we thank you. It was the last real social thing that we did before the world fucking ended yeah <laughs> um, and uh we've been having a nice day at home honeymoon because obviously he's not going into any offices anytime soon but um yeah we had been good friends for a long time before we started dating and then i think it was a year like two or three um because we actually worked at the same company in, in different departments we both worked at nerdist and um and a company called geek and sundry and the first time we worked together was actually producing a show. We produced a show called Thrashtopia, um, which is a heavy metal uh, scripted talk show about a girl who lives in an underground bunker during the apocalypse. And right, okay. it's all on YouTube, and we're so proud of it. Um, and it's weird as fuck. Um, cause yeah, it's, it it's sounds it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we had. Um, my friend Jason Charles Miller, who's also a, a metal musician, he plays my robot uh, sidekick, Bunkerbot, and he actually did the music for the show. And um, he asked me, you know, what kind of bands I like in terms of like guitar sound, and and you know, obviously, heavy metal is so varied in terms of its sound. So I sent him. I think I sent him Skeleton Witch and Abbott and Behemoth. Uh, it was couple, that was a couple years ago before Behemoth started being an asshole. <laughs> but, uh, well uh, done, well yeah. done. A career in politics beckons. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He uh, and then he he did the whole soundtrack for the show, and it's uh, 
it's actually it's, it's metal that I would like. So um, little plug, Thrashtopia, um, it's all on YouTube, and it's if you like apocalypse stuff, it might be a little too close to home these days, but um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's very very funny. So that, that was our first time working together, and then we were like, oh, this is this is easy. We've got cameras, and and you know, these days all you really need is a camera and a and a laptop, you know, just to throw things together in in Final Cut or whatever. It's it's yeah. not hard to produce pretty good quality stuff. No, well, it's the it's the the democratization through digitization. <laughs> yes, I love that. Yeah, so basically everyone can make a film. You know, you can make a film on your phone, can't you? But ultimately, um, do you know what? I I need to get you on my movie podcast as well, I've just realised. Oh, I would love that. I actually, um, speaking of, of democratisation and digitalization, I love that. Um, I just uh, I just put together a film festival, a quarantine film festival, um, and we premiered it on Friday night. And I, um, I loved it. it. And that was also speaking to... Um, how easy it is relatively to, to pick up these skills. There were a lot of people participating who had never edited before, who had never shown their singing before. And it was so cool. It was so, it made me feel connected in a way I haven't in a long time, seeing people tell stories again. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, things like that are, are important. I mean, I did, um, I did a, a zoom with a bunch of guys I used to play football with and it was kind of like it's about 12 of us and it was so much fun it genuinely felt like a night out because I, I was I was kind of buzzing afterwards do you know what I mean because I'd been I'd been yeah. socializing basically and it's so long since since I you know got a chance to do that but I did um I did a, a live a, a kind of live spoken word for my um for my patreon supporters um who you know support the podcast and um uh that was really cool as well because it was just kind of you know it's it's probably as close as i'm going to get to performing for quite some time and uh i need it i need to perform oh boy you're here preaching to the choir us extroverts and performers we are we're having a bad time now well done there energy from being around people Mm. but you're right and and in a way we're, we're kind of blessed to have this kind of technology um accessible to us because if we didn't have the internet if we didn't have video conferencing and and patreon is like you know been a godsend to all of my creative friends then we'd be on a very very different boat we would, um, and and I, I've got to say, I'm just fascinated by the accident of language that happened at the beginning of your uh, what you were saying there, and the two words that came together were ex, um, uh, exhibitionist, uh, sorry, exhibitionism, and um, uh, well, performing extrovert, yeah, for being an extrovert and performing, and of course, if you put perform and extrovert together, what you get is pervert. So basically. <laughs> It is quite perverse. And, it is quite perverse um, putting yourself through yeah. the stresses and strains of performance and throwing yourself out there to be, you know, to be shot at. But I, so I guess, yeah, maybe that kind of works. And the closer you are to it, the more perverse it seems. That is so correct because, I, you know, I, I wanted to be an entertainer. I've wanted to act since I was a, a very, very small child. And only now am I able to say with full confidence that if I ever had kids... I would say absolutely do not pursue this. You ha- you have to be an extremely fucked up person to want to expose yourself to 
the criticism of thousands and thousands of people and get your feelings hurt on purpose and have just like all of your emotions out on the table for everyone to see only an insane person does that yeah i mean I, and also the i mean i i always i'm always fascinated by interviews with actors um and it always seems to me that the ones who are kind of happiest are the ones who've learned that basically um the audition is just the audition you're either the right person or you're not you know it's yeah. very rare that a yeah. good audition will get you the role it is it's that's a a thing that takes many many years to learn is uh to not get your hopes up about a gig to not get your hopes up about something working out i mean at any given time you can talk to someone in los angeles that has three things in the pipe like i i have, I have shows that I have signed on to who who knows if they're going to happen. You really don't know if something is going to work or not or even happen unless all the T's are crossed and the, the I's are dotted and you're shooting and then even then something couldn't air. So it's just like the, the feeling of impermanence and the feeling of just kind of going with the flow and and letting letting the wind take you where it takes you is so necessary for survival in that kind of industry yeah without a doubt because um but also i think there's but also i think with with acting there's also that um and i, I wouldn't put you in this category because you're, you're quite clearly not but i think a lot of actors are basically very uncomfortable a kind of people in themselves and they they revel in spending most of their time being other people yeah, actors and comedians, you know, and 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 I know many that are both. It's it's a really interesting to see how so many of them. I I feel that I am actually on in the smaller percentage of actors who are extroverts because most actors I know are like very very shy people. You know, they really only they they like to do their work and and they come alive that way. But you know, it's at the end of the day, it's about telling a story. I guess. Hey, can I can I tell you about the um. I'm releasing a short tomorrow that I did for this film festival. This is maybe better for your film podcast, but it does have a heavy metal soundtrack. Uh, no, no, go for it. Go for it while we're here. Um, yeah, I uh, for part of this this ABC thing, basically the, the concept of the film festival was um, 26 people. Each person gets a letter of the alphabet and has to make a short um, based on a word starting with that letter. And mine is about a woman who collects cum in a jar. <laughs> okay. And um, I don't want to give away the ending. That's the premise. But the music is uh, my, my wonderful friend Josh Ethier laid down some really heavy tracks for it. And um, it's got, uh, if, you, if you're into doom metal at all, which is like probably one of my favorite genres, subgenres of metal. Um, it's very, very doomy, very tuned down, uh, very big sounding. And um, yeah, it's about this woman who um, gets dumped because her boyfriend discovers she's been hoarding a semen in a jar. She's, hoard <laughs> she's a cum hoarder. Uh, well, you know, yes. uh, it's, it's happened to us all. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when, does, when does that, for, for one of a... It. For want of a better worded question, uh, where, where, when does that come out and how can people get hold of it? I, I will send it to you tomorrow. I, um, oh, cool. I just, for, for, the, uh, for the whole festival, I didn't put credits in it, so we're just getting credits put on it today and then it'll be online. So I'll make sure to send that out. Um, yeah, it's, it, was, it was really, really fun to make. And also, I, I think I wouldn't have ever... I, 
I'm, I'm such a weird person and I feel like I've only recently, maybe it's turning 30. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I've only recently really embraced, um, how gross my brain is and how I, I just, I really like counterculture. I really like, you know, weird and gross things. And, um, and also, you know, it's so easy to make excuses to not create something. And I feel like that has been one little silver lining piece of, of pandemic related stuff is that we've all had time to kind of slow down and, and think about what we really want to be and what we really want to contribute. And what I want to contribute is, a come movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's um you know, that's that's gonna look good on the IMDB page, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just it it takes a long time, uh, I think, to, to trust yourself as an artist and, and I'm sure you can relate to this and it, it um you have to really believe in yourself and I think there's you make a lot of excuses for like, oh I'll you know, I'll write that song later or maybe you don't. I don't I'm not a musician. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, but definitely in the film industry, there's always like, oh, there, there's a story that I want to write, but you know, I'll, I'll wait till something else happens, or I'll wait till I have the right opportunity to make something. And, and that was kind of my effort for putting together this film festival was you don't have to wait to go and make something. It can be lo-fi. It can be no budget, um, as long as you tell a story. And, um, and it, it's so cool to see that you can just have that power. Yeah, I mean that's 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 really cool. That's and make please make sure you get me all the the various links. Um, I will. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'll watch before I share. <laughs> yes, I will say it is. Um, it's technically safe for work, but <laughs> the implications are not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the kind of thing that you want to try and have to explain why you're watching. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, look, Whitney, would you? So you'd be up for coming on the um, on the movie podcast then? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, look, I'm gonna um, um, let's um, let's put a pin in it there, and I'm gonna give you a share. And let's like you know arrange some dates. You're obviously quite busy um, at the moment. Well, you always seem to be busy. So um, <laughs> let's try and set up another. Let's try and set up another time, um, and um, we'll get you on the film podcast as well. I would love that. Um, cool. Can, uh, can I tell you some bands that I've been listening to? You certainly can. So um, it's very hot in Los Angeles. Um, and once it, I don't know about you, um, but definitely in terms of mm, the metal that I listen to, it changes with the seasons. And um, so when I, it's cold outside, it's all black metal and, and death metal. Um, but when it gets hot outside, Iron Maiden, baby, that's, that is the number one. And Acid Brain, too, is actually such a great um, addition to that rotation. Like, just fun, classic metal. Um, oh, thank you very and much. And then when it's, when it's super, super hot outside, you have to listen to the slow, syrupy doom metal, like Sleep and Electric Wizard and Bong Ripper and, and all of those, like, and Bell Witch. Like, all of those just, like, sludgy, slow bands, because that's how you feel on the inside. That's my... That's my weather predicting metal playlist. Now that that's really interesting because personally, uh, for me, when it's sunny, my go-to album is "Eat 'Em and Smile" by David Lee Roth. Um, purely, nice. be- purely because that album sounds like sunshine. Yes, yeah, it's true. I think um, 
I think there are two attitudes when it's summertime, especially in Los Angeles. It's like, I this is fun. I'm out driving and the wind's in my hair. And, you know, certainly metal like that is, is perfectly suited for that. And then there's the other side, which is like, I am a lizard on a rock. Do not touch me. I am not moving for the rest of the day. Please bring me water. And that's when that's when the doom metal comes in. <laughs> yeah, I can I can um I can completely get on I can completely get on board with that. I mean I've got to I've got to be honest, <laughs> doom metal is just not it's just not for me. Um I like You know, it's it's interesting because I feel like it's 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 pretty um polarizing doom metal because it's either I mean, obviously it makes sense that somebody who is a big thrash fan Doom metal is kind of the the opposite of it because it's so slow and it's so it's just like droning and and I feel like if you love thrash metal then you might find it boring. To be honest, um, you should probably not listen to a word I say because when you started speaking, I realised that um, in 2019, one of one of my top five albums of the year was um, Candlemas, the Door to Doom. So uh, just forget I said See? anything. <laughs> Just, just forget I said anything. I mean, have you have you found as as a as a woman have you found the metal you know the metal community embracing and you know has it always behaved oh. itself? Fuck no. <laughs> oh, there you go. No, no, no. You know what's so funny though is is I I used to work at a comic book store when I was fifteen and I would get uh, boys come up to me. I was behind the counter and they'd say, "Can I get somebody who works here or like who actually reads comic books?" And that was back before all of the major comic book movies really started. I think Iron Man was out, but, like, they weren't as part of the zeitgeist as they are now. And so comic books, video games, um, and certainly heavy metal have all been incredibly gay-kept towards women. Um, obviously, the gaming and, and sort of pop culture landscape is a lot more inclusive and a lot more accepting these days. But metal protects itself metal it tries to stay underground metal tries to weed out the posers and um i think in terms of going to shows and in terms of of actually being in the community it's only it's wonderful people it's only you know nice people because once you're at a show everybody's just there to enjoy the music it's it's the great equalizer you know everybody's just just there for the music but as a performer in the metal space doing doing news and doing the show that we did that is when you're inviting all the negative youtube comments you're inviting the object the objectification the uh, you know the the nasty comments and i think that that is just also a symptom of making something and putting it out there it, it will always invite criticism and and in my case sexism um but yeah definitely online it was it was not so good but in person is always great you know that's it's always when you're there at concerts with people you know you see people of all kinds and that's a really that's a really important line to draw there because i think the mm-hmm. the difference between um that online bullshit and the real lived experience i mean let's face it any kind of social media, whether it's from fucking YouTube across the board to Facebook, um, it doesn't represent real life. I mean, there's way more arguments and shit going on and stupid stuff being said in, on social media than there is when you get out of your house and walk around and meet people and get on with life. A thousand percent. Yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah, people aren't hiding behind behind the mask of anonymity. And, um, and, and to Metal Sucks' credit, they... Um, 
I was not the the single person getting. Uh, I was not getting singled out uh, with criticism there. They uh, they are constantly having to um, fend off jerks because I feel like Metal Sucks is is definitely a, a more liberal outlet, and they they will yes. be some of the first people to call out if a black metal musician has accidentally outed themselves as a Nazi and so you know they, they report on all that stuff and so they kind of invite that criticism from the the pocket of metal enthusiasts who are um, white supremacists yeah and uh, unfortunately <laughs> there is there is some of them around unfortunately yeah oh, yeah dear. it really sucks because I, I really I always want people more people to listen to metal I'm, I'm one of those fans that like I, I don't want it to stay underground, even though I, I love the counterculture of it all, but I want more people to listen to metal, and it sucks that it gets a bad rap because of a couple fucking Nazis. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, let's um, uh, let's um, bring things to an end there, Whitney. It's been it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you very much for um, for your flexibility with sorting these these dates out. I've really appreciated it. Um, yes, thank you, Howard. Sorry, I just kind of like word vomited at the beginning. I was ready to go off. No, not at all. No, you, look, right pl- please don't. Please don't. People listening to this will be like, no way, man. That was great. We've just, you know, we were loving listening to that. Besides, they've had enough of listening to me. So listening to somebody else, that's 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 what this is all about. Um, but, uh, but look, stay in touch. Um, it's been really cool talking to you. And, um, and I'll get you on the movie podcast. Now, um, uh, when this short movie comes out, where, how can people see it? I will, um, I'll post a link up on my social, um, Whitney S. Moore on Instagram, I'll post it, and then I'll also just send you the link and you can, you can share it with your fans if you'd like. It's cool. certainly, um, if you like strange things, it's a strange <laughs> thing. <laughs> Le- uh, uh, yeah, less said the better, I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've said all there is to on that. Um, well, look, uh, when, once again, Whitney, thank you so much, really appreciate it. Thanks, Howard. It's Cheers. great to talk to you, and, and I'll, I'll catch you on the next one. Cool. Lovely. All right. Bye-bye. And that was Whitney Moore. Um, really enjoyed chatting with Whitney. Um, do check out her, her movies. That is a rather strange... Um, uh, um, oh, what's the fucking word? Setup? Yes. Premise. That's the word I was looking for. Um yeah, so um, I will be getting Whitney back on. Certainly going to get her on a movie podcast as well. Um, a lovely lady who, um, I re- like I said, I really, really enjoyed talking to. She's got her fingers in so many pies, doing so many different things, um, and and really worth really worth um, following on social media as well, um, and uh, and keeping an eye out on her stuff. So. Um, yeah, I mentioned movies there, and yes, there is a movie podcast coming out pretty much once a month at the moment, uh, movie podcast, so I'm going to do what I rarely do, and I'm just going to flag up a, uh, the movie podcast for this month, because what's going to be coming is an interview with um, a friend of mine called Philip Jackson. Now, you may, you may well know Phil from the TV show Poirot who plays um i think it's uh, chief inspector uh yap um or jap or however we what you want to pronounce it um uh yeah in um in poirot so yeah I'm, I'm some of you may well he's been in loads of stuff loads of stuff um as you'll find out we had a really great in-depth chat fellow leeds fan known him a long time and uh, that's coming up this month so do have a listen we we talk about all sorts um 
working with Michael Caine, meeting Pele. Um, yeah, all, 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 the, all the typical normal uh, working with Mike Lee, you know, sort of typical actory stuff. But it's really cool, really enjoyed it. Um, so keep an ear out for that. And keep an ear out for Miles um, Kennedy coming up. Um, there is still the Sepultura. Um, well, the special is not in the works. It's done. Um, it's just waiting. I'm just coordinating with Sepultura as to, to when to put it out. So that is going to be coming um, at some point in the future. Got all sorts of really cool interviews lined up behind the scenes. Um, now, one thing I would like you all to do is if you could check out Acid Rain's um, social media, you will see that we have um, our bass player, Pete, who is... Um, uh, well, basically, he's putting money... He's putting... Um, uh, he's raising money. And he's raising money for uh, Mind, because, unfortunately, that, that is Bloodstock's um, charity, and we're not able to do Bloodstock this year, obviously. But um, Pete is raising money, and he's doing that. He's doing that by... Get it? He's doing it by shaving his beard off. That is right. Pete, the Acid Rain bass player is shaving his fucking beard off. This is, like, unheard of. So, um, we, he's looking to raise two grand in the next couple of weeks. So, if you could all start um, putting some money into his um, uh, fund, that would be fucking awesome. It's justgiving.com. Um, if you look up Pete D1, that is Pete, P-E-T-E, D, D, letter D, followed by double E, all one word, Pete D, and then the digit one, Pete D1, he's on Just Giving, Um, he wants to get two grand together, and then he is going to shave his beard off, live on Saturday, August the 15th, on Acid Rain's Facebook page, so, um, if you want to see that, tune in and if you want to make it happen donate some money it's all for a good cause it's all for mind and um pete's had that beard for fucking ever i was going to say ever since i've known him but that pretty much goes for everybody everybody when no matter how long they've known pete have always known the fact that he's got a beard so there you go um just a little bit of a little bit of an acid rain tangent there um but it's a really worthwhile cause please do give to it now finally before i finish Already plugged Patreon, already plugged Pete. Um, I want to plug um, the new, I never thought I'd say this, new Lamb of God album. I am really, really digging it. Lamb of God by Lamb of God is absolutely, it's it's smashing me at the moment. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, and and I, I never thought I'd say that about a Lamb of God album. I really didn't. Um, but also, needless to say that, um, well, no, it does need saying, um, Protest the Hero is absolutely smashing it for me at the moment. Um, just, ah, what, what an album. Um, it is just, it, yeah, it's just absolute fucking genius. Uh, it is it, it, it is called Palimp- Palimpsest, if you want to go and have a look for it. Um and, and I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal, um, but I would, because I like the band anyway. Um, and, but I wanted to give you, like, you know, a heads up on two really cool metal albums that um, that I'm digging at the moment. And um, and that's it. Now, please, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, bollockers, first-timers, everyone listening, please do spread the word. If you like what you've heard, spread the word. If you don't like what you've heard, fuck off and never come back again, you cunt. Ha-ha, <laughs> there you go. Finally. 
Um, so, yeah, please spread the word and we'll get it out there and I can make more of these, interview more people, uh, talk more shit down your fucking lug holes and it'll be great. I mean, look, are you, are you guys doing okay out there? Are you doing okay out there in, in, in lockdown? Uh, how are you dealing with the new normal, eh? Because it's not normal, is it? Everything's not normal. Stuff is definitely different. Um, I mean, just people's vibe. I was talking earlier about the nature. I mean, that's that's just, you know, literally, nature is different. Everything is different. Um, I'm different, without a doubt. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm having to adjust to a future that I really had no plan for. Um, I mean, for any of you out there struggling financially at the moment, boy, I know how you fucking feel. I am literally sat here spending my savings that hopefully we're going to be, you know, we're going to go towards a, a, a major purchase in life, you know. Um, but as it is, no, I'm just going to fritter them away on um, food and bills. Um, very little help from the government. Well, I can't actually get any help at the moment other than that three-month payout that we had earlier, which was shit. I can't get any help from the government other than that um uh because i've got too many savings i'm I'm revealing like way too much here but fuck it i don't care um so because i have a certain because they have savings thresholds i say they i mean you know the government so at the moment i i i've got virtually no money coming in well patreon is is my only income at the moment so thanks again to patrons um, and look, fuck it. If you'd like to make a, a contribution to the podcast, um, all you need to do is send some money to howonard at hotmail.com. So if you've got a PayPal account or whatever, ping a little bit of money, a quid, whatever, whatever you can spare. Jesus, I am doing online begging now, aren't I? To howonard, that's H O W, then the digit one A R D, howonard at hotmail.com. If you ping some money to that, because not everybody wants to be a patron, but they still want to support the show. And I, I'm, well, I know of at least one person that that applies to, and you know who you are, don't you? Um, so, um, uh, I, so I thought I'd, I'd just put it out there, and, and I'm sorry if it's if it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Believe you and me, you're not the only one right now who's uncomfortable with all of this. But um, yeah, and look, I'm just saying that um, because um, I've managed to put money away here and there over, uh, during my life and I'm, I'm really 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 not well off but because I have managed to do that unfortunately my savings are at a threshold that is above where I can get any help from the government whatsoever so literally because I have uh, been prudent financially and sensible and kept it basically means I get no help so I've just got to piss that money away until he gets to a stage, uh, until he gets to, you know, down to a, an amount that is considered that they will then, I'll then get some help. But anyway, look, I'm oh, fucking moaning or not. Uh, what I'm saying is if you're out there and you're struggling financially, mentally, whatever it is, I absolutely get it. I really, really do. Don't think that um, I'm any different to you guys. Um, yes, I'm trying to be as, as positive and bounce abouty and as normal uh, as possible on these um, on these podcasts because that's what, you know, that's, that's the purpose of them. It's something for me to enjoy. I mean, this is as close as I'm getting to fucking performing. I have not had this long off a stage for, God... 12, 13 years. So this is, this is tough. It really is. 
um i'm doing um i'm actually i'm actually doing a monthly zoom chat with all my patrons as well so if you do want to join patreon um it's basically like a live podcast once a month and we, we all just get together have a beer and a chat so um so yeah i mean you know whatever but I, you see look there i am I'm, I'm i'm plugging that as well because it is literally plug 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 because yeah uh, look, we're, we're all in this together. At various, various degrees of shittiness, we are all in this together. Ver- even you cunts who don't want to wear masks. And let me just point this out. Whatever you say about not wearing a mask starts with me, 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 I, I, I. Well, it ain't about you. You have the right to not wear a mask. No, you don't. The law says you have to wear a mask, so wear a fucking mask. Secondly... You, if you believe you do, you have the right to not wear a mask, then walk around and don't wear a mask. But just remember, if you catch COVID-19, you will have that disease for 48 hours without noticing it, without displaying symptoms. During those 48 hours, you will give the disease to all of your friends and all of your family members and loved ones. If you really think that you are that, do you want to be that cunt? Do you want to be that cunt? Do you want to be the guy who has to turn around, or girl, or man, or woman, or non, non-binary living creature. There we go, we just cover the fucking lot. Right? All of you out there. All of you. Do you want to be that cunt? Do you want to be the person that has to turn around to their friends and their family and say, oh, it, no, it turns out it was me. Yeah. Do you remember that fucking stupid, ludicrous stand that I took for no reason in particular? And don't make out like it's some big stand and you're taking it for some fucking reason. Because... You're not. Yeah, you're just basically making everything about you, making a stand because you believe this and you believe that. You, you, I, I, me, me. Yeah, well, that is not what this is about. This is about everybody else. This is about people other than you. So there you go. I mean, really? Really? So anyway, um, the point I'm making making is, guys, if there is a point, if there is a point to this, I'm not sure there is. Um, but I just wanted to say, look, it's, we're all out, you know, we're, we're all in this together. We really are. And if I can help in any way, if it's just listening to these podcasts and stuff like that, then, then I'm glad to have helped. Um, you know, we're live on the Acid Rain Facebook page every Saturday. If you want to come and join, if you want to come and join there. And in all seriousness, if you do want to have a talk about anything, anything you know you're you're down depressed you just want to get something off your chest feel free you can get hold of me on facebook um on twitter uh just you know on social media in general if you want to have a chat absolutely feel free um and I i do mean that guys i really do i've had my i've had my various struggles over the years with mental health as you all know and um you know i'm more than happy to um you know to to have a chat with anybody who is struggling right now and uh, you know share the burden because let's face it to in, to a certain extent no matter who you are to a certain extent we are all struggling that little little bit so anyway look it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you it is a privilege talking to you and i really hope that i'm able to see you all in the flesh at some point um over the next 12 months whether it's doing live podcasts or playing with acid rain so hang in there guys lovely to talk to you I'm going to keep the podcast coming. Movie Bollocks coming very soon. Make sure you check that out because that is a really cool interview. Really enjoyed it. Some real great behind the scenes stuff. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, come back for more. If you didn't, you're a cunt. 
Fuck off. Never want to hear from you again. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Speak to you soon.